Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to This Is Ours podcast. I am your host, Omaina, and this is my podcast where our motto is to be unapologetically intentional. So a few thoughts from last week before I introduce our special guest. So last week, or let me say two weeks ago, we talked about the art of reframing. Um, And the question was, are you reluctant to celebrate? So I have two responses from two listeners. Um, One listener talks about how the reluctancy to celebrate depends on how you were brought up. So some people were brought up um, going to birthday parties and just celebrating every milestone while some weren't. Um, But she also talks about how every day of our life is worth celebrating. Another listener talks about how you can't progress without fully reflecting on all aspects of your life, which I completely agree with. I think it's very important to reflect on each facet of your life so that you understand your past and how it influences your present and your future. So today I have two very special guests with me, one returning and one new. So I have Irene with me, who was with us for the Rise of the Independent Woman episode. And then I have Amen with me. Hello, everybody. So they're both beautifully, wonderfully, wonderful ladies from my program who I got to meet this past year and I'm very grateful for. And today we're going to be talking about a bunch of things and I'm thinking of titling this episode trending now so it's basically just I was scrolling through my twitter timeline and either videos or tweets that I saw that I thought were very thought-provoking and I wanted to have a conversation about so that's basically what this is about so I would say a prompt of what it was um and there's two videos in this that they've both watched before now and then I'll see what they think about it so the first one was a video um it was like uh, a south asian woman dressed in a traditional sari and she was talking about how um we need to teach men how to behave instead of protecting women so basically it was she was trying to emphasize the point that she was she was just standing there in her traditional sari and these men were looking at her with lust in their eyes because it's something that they were not used to seeing and instead of protecting women which obviously it's important to do, but instead of the emphasis being on protecting women, we have to teach men how to behave. So I'm going to let you ladies kind of reflect on that and tell me what you think. Yeah. All right. So up again. Um, so yeah, um, my name's Amen. I am a Punjabi woman born and raised in a very small white hinterland town <laughs> in, in Canada. Um, so speaking to this first video, um, obviously it means a lot to me um, as someone who identifies as South Asian. Um, when I hear the word lust in their eyes, I just, to me, it's, I think it's the, I mean, toxic masculinity runs very deep. Um, patriarchy runs very deep, but I think it's just the idea of power over another. Cause a woman could be wearing a sari, she could be wearing a hijab, she could be wearing a bikini, she could be wearing a surf outfit. And and it doesn't matter what that woman is wearing. The lust in the eyes becomes less about appreciation and more about power and control. And I think that's something that's very important to acknowledge. And uh, yeah, as someone who who acknowledges that women are treated in a double standard within a lot of cultural communities, particularly my own, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, that you can... That you can protect women all you want, but until you teach your men how to treat people with human dignity, that these atrocities will keep happening. Mm. And we need to have these conversations. You know, we need to raise men better. 
um, we need to raise our women to know they deserve better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a very, it was a very interesting video. Um, I think, I think of it in two ways. I think of it in terms of um, who is teaching, who is teaching us as a whole about about what sex means and about about how to sex <laughs> consent consent um relationships intimacy who who is teaching us where do we learn mm-hmm. that information boys girls and and everyone in between yeah where where, where does that information get filtered from mm-hmm. um and i can think of it if i'm reflecting on my my um upbringing i learned i learned about intimacy through my friends in high school, mm-hmm. um, and I learned about how to be lusted through my friends in high school, mm-hmm. um, and specifically the boys in high school, and that was a very dangerous, very for all the for all the young kids out there. It's a dangerous way to learn how to be lusted, yeah, um, definitely. Because especially for 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 children, for young uh, young children, youth who identify as female. Um, I guess everyone, it can be very dangerous to depend on someone else who is your same age to know, to know, to know about the body and to know, to know what the body wants and all that. Um, and so if we're, if we're going to be talking about teaching, teaching men how to behave, it has to start from when those men are boys. If we're talking about it in a very like hetero heterosexual stance Mm -hmm. um we have to we have to we have to start having conversations about the system that they're in the system that they're that they're going to be becoming boys in so Mm -hmm. even even as young as even five you're you're, you're talking to boys about about their own bodies Mm -hmm. right because there's also issues of of sexual assault that happen that happen Mm -hmm. within for for boys as well Mm -hmm. um and we that's that's not often talked about Um, so then when, when those boys become men and, and they're just out there, just like going after as, as what she said, they're out there just lasting, um, and demanding that, that, that her body, it belongs to him for that moment or however, ta- however much time he decides, um, by the time they're men, then they understand that, Hey, this is a system that I'm operating mm-hmm. in. And this is, this is, this is where I stand and this is where she stands. Um, this is the role she plays. So I think it's twofold. I think it's that you're looking at it at like a systems level. So looking at like the patriarchy that informs that man's decisions, but also you're looking at it at even like an at, at an educational level where you're you're educating young young children who are who are going to be the future um, about what it means, what sex means itself, because lust is a part of sex, but it's mm-hmm. not the only the only part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I would start. Yeah, and I definitely agree. And I think what I took from what you were saying most especially is this idea of um, women as property. Because I think growing up in an African country, growing up in Nigeria, um, the boys grow up knowing that, you know, they provide the bacon and they come home and there's dinner ready for them. And the girls understand that their role is to be a mother and a, you know, house to sacrifice them themselves, it's like, yeah. So basically, to sacrifice themselves and their careers and their life dreams. Um, and thankfully, I wasn't raised in that kind of family, but like it's something that happened. So when you raise a boy to think that his wife is supposed to be submissive, quote unquote, whatever that means to him, then he's going to think that all women, 
everywhere should be submissive to him. So when he's in a situation where, you know, there's a girl saying no to him, is he going to believe that she has the right to say no to him? No. Or is he just going to be like, you know what, like, I don't care what you're saying and this is what it is. Yeah. And it also goes back to your point, Amin, about whether a woman wears a bikini or a sari or, you know, a hijab, just the idea that you haven't taught them what what's how to look at a woman and how to appreciate a woman without that appreciation turning directly into lust mm-hmm. then that's where the issue stems from mm-hmm. um so i think i think even going back so going back to like my point of education and, and blending it with what you're saying is for me i'm still focused at the system because in the system, even even women, mothers are involved. Yes, definitely. Right? So, like, for example, for, for, for a mother of a young boy, um, who who taught who taught her what 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 pleasure is, mm-hmm. right? And granted, we're we're having more and more conversations, and I think the millennial generation is much more, for lack of a better word, demanding of of, of our own pleasure mm-hmm. as women, um, to feel to feel. To feel good about <laughs> sex, yeah. um, as opposed to our previous generations where you don't even talk about it, the sex is for the man. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so it can also start from there where the parent is knows precisely what makes them feel good mm-hmm. and teaches teaches the boys around her that listen, she she uh, behind behind that 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 human being that you just lust for is a heart yeah. is the same kind of feeling and in, intention for pleasure that you have mm-hmm. whereas i think especially from from the from where i come from it's more um you have you have sex for giving birth mm-hmm. um and you have sex to make the guy the man happy okay. um and that's it but mm-hmm. that's changing yeah and i think I, for me i would focus on that on how yeah how do you just make it pleasurable for for all involved and teach everyone involved that it's yeah Yeah, absolutely and I think I I do want to touch on we you know Irene you touched on the you know a mother's role within the home especially in educating her children and I want to kind of direct that a bit more towards fathers as well because Mm. I noticed that particularly in situations where abuse is common at home and certain traumas are ingrained in children um, those systems of trauma are so hard to overcome and I find, especially particularly young women, and I'm going to you know, speak from my own positionality as a woman, um, I don't mean to exclude men here, um, women really do tend to, if they see abuse, if they see how their own mothers are treated, they are likely to accept that as the, mm-hmm. the hegemonic male gaze that yeah. they too will... Yeah that they too will attract and that they too, they'll be lucky if they attract it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's what you see as, as what's done and what it's what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think those are such important aspects to tease apart because we are such a part of this train of healing that if this healing doesn't occur within us, you know, children after us will see this trauma and it'll manifest in unique ways. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we're seeing a lot of. And the the unfortunate thing is that, I mean, I'm I'm not a parent. I'm not in a relationship right now, so I, I'm 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 sure <laughs> I'm sure someone else can speak better on this. But the unfortunate thing is that um, even even today, I think a lot of parents out there still believe that oh, if as long as they the kids are young enough, if we're having if we're having issues, like they will will keep having those issues. Yeah. 
um, and the kid won't know. Or if or if or if mm-hmm. I'm I'm engaging in a particular behavior, I'll keep doing it until maybe they're like ten years and old. We and we can figure out what's going on. But kids are smart. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, kids are so smart. Kids mm-hmm. are they pick so up on smart. It. And mm-hmm. and we need we need to respect them. I think we need to respect. We need to give kids more respect than than we do. Um. In in treating them as like the full the full as little equals. human that they that are. they are, yeah. And and knowing that, and it, it this is just bringing me back to our talk we went to for Tarana Burke, the founder of the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and you know her talk about this is a moment we can't let it slip through our fingers yeah. because you know so many so many men, women, non-binary individuals are working so hard to make this moment last, mm-hmm. and it's our job to to hold on to it as long as we can to hope that change can operate at this level mm-hmm. and um and yeah it's off of the labor of a lot of people who have been through a lot of different atrocities mm-hmm. but this moment is something we can't afford to lose it yeah yeah i definitely agree and thank you for that so moving on to the next thought so the next one is a tweet and it reads men will create ridiculous structures that favor only men when they feel they want to be benevolent they'll give room for only one woman then women will be fighting each other for that one spot. Then they will come back to the stupid narrative, women are women's biggest problems. So when I read this, I was like, wow. It's just one of those tweets where you read and you're just like, wow, light bulb moment. Because it's so true. It's like we're living in this patriarchal world and, you know, there's women fighting to be at the top. (laughs) They're fighting to be at the top. And it's like, why are they fighting to be at the top? It's not because... You know, and then you hear the thing, oh, women are just being difficult. A woman is a woman's biggest problem. But it's because there's no space at this table. Mm-hmm. And who is creating the space at this well, table? Well, I don't want the table. I'm done. Let's <laughs> just mantle it. And we're actually having this conversation about this space table. at the table. Instead of, uh, we're just breaking, in fact, what we're doing is we're breaking the table and the table is gone. Yeah. Because it's it's ridiculous. They create Musical this, chairs. like they create this structure and then they're like, oh, I feel like being a feminist today. Let me create one executive director position. And then you just have all of these women trying to get that position because obviously they want to break the glass ceiling and further, you know, the movement. And then you now go back and say, oh no, a woman is a woman's biggest problem. Like it's their fault. They're fighting for it. Women always fight each other. And then just sit back, relax, and just watch this chaos that they've created. That's how oppression operates. You're supposed to feel thankful for the scraps you're given. Literally. It's like, thank you for giving me this one position in this 200-position company. I'm thinking of it in terms of... Um, in, uh, uh, I, I read a an Instagram post, I think, um, and it's connected to like sexuality, so... It was talking about how, um, by uh, as a bi woman, you can't you can't be fully accepted as bi because of this rhetoric that oh all she, all she needs is like a threesome kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a, then a, a, a cis man is in, involved there, and then as a bi man, you can't be you can't be fully accepted as a bi man. Because um, oh he's like just low key, he's just low key, low key gay. gay. So then there's a man still involved in that conversation. Yeah. Like why can't I just be bi? Why can't I just like appreciate both mm-hmm. and whatever that looks like for me, kind of thing? Um, w- like why do- why does the man still have to be? Yeah. Why does a cis man still have to be involved in that conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and then why can't it be that oh I just I, like the 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 bi the 
this is just blanket in the, the statement of mm-hmm. a bi man being low key gay. Why can't he just like be like like low key straight or like, yeah. like want more women? Why does he always have, have to, to want, want more, more men? men? Yeah, same for the bi woman. So, I mean, what do you think? Um, I think for me, it's just yeah. I think it just oper- it's it's hegemonic ways of maintaining power but seemingly in a neutral way and to me this i'm gonna get into a bit of canadian politics here but i'm gonna talk about um you know what's going on in terms of justin trudeau the liberal party nc lavalon um you have an indigenous woman as attorney general um mm-hmm. you have you know um you have someone who who is a feminist um because that word seems uh easy to use these days yes right. um and you, you have someone who uses the labor of women, the intelligence of women, the sacrifice of women. And as soon as that individual, that woman does not want to do exactly what you tell her to do, she becomes disposable. And mm-hmm. it, it becomes this, um, this revolving door where the people who, who get to sit and operate the door are generally cis white men and the women who are shuffled between them um you know just operate as as a as a tool for for maintaining that benevolence Mm -hmm. and i think that benevolence is a very dangerous place to be because you know you see it everywhere you see you know people wanting to claim indigeneity you see it um i see it in every yoga class i walk into and that benevolence is a very dangerous place to be because not only is it a slap in the face to anyone who's ever felt even the slightest feeling of oppression or marginalization but it's it's using your lived experience against you mm-hmm. and creating you disposable as yeah, a result of it and there's nothing that guts you more as an individual it's almost like uh, like a nuanced, more political form of color blindness, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Yeah, where where um, like looking at this this idea of like benevolence. I mean, like a spiritual, sp- and that's why that's one of the reasons why um, I, I'm not comfortable going into like like yoga spaces. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable going into like spirit because I'm a very deeply spiritual person. Mm-hmm. But I just I, I I end up just doing like my own thing mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. because. You, you walk in, you, when you go into like a spiritual space, yoga, whatever, you're going into like, quote unquote, lay your burdens. Mm-hmm. You're going into like, to just open and, and, uh, and, uh, um, in a way be healed in whatever way self, that, that form of self-care looks like. But your reality, like the reality of you going in that space to be healed, for your body to be healed, completely different from, from, from what the majority in that yoga room are mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. are going in for. Right or even even in some ways, I'm assuming, and I want to continue assuming um, until I'm I'm proven wrong that even the instructor in some mm-hmm. ways could be could could have taken that class as a business model mm-hmm. that you're going in for healing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 maybe in some ways, your the the people that you come from, your ancestors practice that as a form of healing yeah. one aspect of healing yeah. and so now that has a that that has become in 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 north america where you live where you're born and raised in north america mm-hmm. that has become you, you can't enter those spaces in the same way that maybe you would have mm-hmm. yeah. back if home if, if 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 you had been born and raised in that in that tradition mm-hmm. it's impossible yeah absolutely i totally agree with that it's just to me it's it's the space where 
our ancestors were policed so heavily for these exact same practices and uh, they become a form of of white benevolence yeah. in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that every instructor or every person who attends these sessions is white, but whiteness is prevalent because whiteness is, is more than just yeah. white skin, right? Because they it's because a hegemonic. And, yeah, and they and they yeah. typically it's 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 typically it's been very rare that I've gone I've gone in, and I guess we're just using yoga because yeah. it's more prevalent, mm-hmm. prevalent. In, yeah. in spaces, but it's rare that I've gone into a, a spiritual space specifically mm-hmm. yoga and it's a it's a it's a person of color teaching mm-hmm. it. I know there's a black there's a black yoga teacher who uh, she's 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 a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for body she she talks about body positivity mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that. Um, but she's in the States, mm-hmm. but largely, 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 and granted, she's going to use her, mm-hmm. her, her yoga as a form of resistance, her mm-hmm. yoga as a form of, of activism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But what we see out here in these yeah. Kelowna streets specifically, <laughs> yeah. what is it? What yeah. it? I don't know. Yeah. Just... And, and it takes me back to this article I read for class this semester. And we're talking about the global north and the global south, and these are two concepts which we didn't get to talk about in class. Yeah, which <laughs> and it's and it's interesting because like coming from I guess a global south country, I had never thought of these two concepts until reading this paper, and it talks about how you know the global south is this place of you know marginalized population, impoverished people, desolation, blah, 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 blah. like. All the bad words you could use to describe something is what they used to describe it. Post-apocalyptic. Like, and it talks, <laughs> it talks about how, you know, the global south was able to get independence from the global north. And, you know, now they are their own people struggling in their own way or whatever. But what I took from it is actually the opposite. I don't think the global south got independent from the global north. No, oh, you, no. You just have to look at the world. <laughs> I, think, I, I think the global north. Wait, 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 wait. I think the global north just relinquished some power to the global south so that people will stop disturbing I don't even them. know if I'm is, it, is it power when everything operates? In the, <laughs> and in that's the, the thing. System, it's also dominant, rigged. Yeah. Exactly. Because, it's yeah. also rigged anyways. The systems that we were left with were not ours to begin with. And they make it impossible to flourish without the help mm-hmm. from said Precisely, global north. Yeah. So they've come, they've colonized, they've left. But they've left us in such a way that we still need them. Mm-hmm. So did we ever stop being colonized? No. no, we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> no. There's no such thing as post-colonization right now. And whoever, right. whoever's out here thinking, <laughs> hey, 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 people, hey, we've, we've, we, we got independence. Never. It was just... It was just lip service. It was yeah. just uh, puppets were put in place. Yeah, and we're seeing we're seeing the repercussions of that, right? No. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, it's this is a totally I a, different I topic. A, I have a lot of feelings about um, <laughs> about has colonization left. As someone who is a descendant from, you know, descendant from ancestors from India, um. 1947 independence well what did that mean that mean that means an arbitrary line um, that creates three countries you know pakistan india east pakistan which is now bangladesh people die everywhere and since then i can i can already name genocides that have occurred 1984 the sikh population um you know when east pakistan became bangladesh the famine of bengal the ongoing um, Indian-Pakistan like, Absolutely. War. So for me, you know, whiteness never left India. Yeah. The British left, but the whiteness never did. You have, you know, if you have billboards of people selling you cream to bleach your skin, 
whiteness never left. No. And uh, I think a lot of, I hate the term even global south, um, it's hierarchical format, but um, but I understand it's, we need the language to talk yeah. about it. Um, yeah, just uh, colonization seeps into your bones, and I think for me, um, we're not, I, I acknowledge we're not in a post-colonial world at all. But how do you even just begin at the center? Like, how do I decolonize? You know, where do where do I even begin to tease that apart? Mm-hmm. And and where does that healing begin? Mm-hmm. Because I'm because it does happen. I mean, I would consider it healing the fact that I can even name it. Yeah. You know, my ancestors couldn't even name it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I asked my parents, what they wouldn't name it. Yeah. You know, it's I th- life. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm in 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 that in that journey of understanding what decolonization even means. Because um, for, for me, it very much means religion, being, being tied and deeply connected to mm-hmm. a religion that has a, a, a very, like, a very like, blonde face attached mm-hmm. to it, right? Um, so when you say whiteness le- never left India, the same thing. Whiteness never left Uganda in, so, mm-hmm. in the same way that Uganda is like 85% Christian. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, not to say that, 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 that you know, the, the, the person of Christ is like, it, like cancer at the table kind of mm-hmm. thing, but to say that the the implications mm-hmm. of Christianity, what Christian, what 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 the Catholics and the and the Protestants, what they did with the Christianity mm-hmm. to is our the people issue. is the issue yeah. is the thing that I can't Weaponized. sit with. Yeah, and and it's a, it's also the same thing that I, we were talking earlier. It's the same thing that I can't sit. I can sit at a dinner table with my parents who are who are deeply Christian in different ways, but deeply Christian. I can't sit with them and say. I, I need I need to find spirituality Somewhere in so else. many different areas, including the person of mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. In order to in order to fill mm-hmm. my cup, mm-hmm. it it just can't be Christianity, and that and that journey has happened mm-hmm. since like twenty eleven, mm-hmm. since I and and mm-hmm. twenty eleven is when I moved to Canada. So if I had stayed in Uganda, maybe my mindset would still be, oh yeah, we've we've been colonized, we're colonized people, we're we're we've 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 won kind of thing, and I'm Christian and I pray to like white Jesus. No, and that's the thing. First of all, Jesus wasn't even white, <laughs> and that's but the, that's the thing. I think the issue is that it's so ingrained in the socialization of us as a people, and I will speak to it even in Nigeria as well that we don't even realize that it's there it's like it takes coming away and coming to the global north quote unquote to realize that wait a minute like this is there's something going on like this i was talking to my friend about there's so many things that if i still lived in nigeria like i wouldn't even be able to fathom and i can't even have conversations with my friends about this is because they don't even understand where I'm coming from in, anymore, especially being in a field like social work, where I'm now critically view, viewing the world and reflecting on all these things I thought I knew and unlearning all these things. I'm having conversations with my friends and they just don't understand. They can't understand where I'm coming from because we weren't socialized that way. And it goes back to, I was telling you guys at the big um before about how I was reading Children of Blood and Bones, which is a book by Tomi Adeyemi, set in Nigeria, Nigerian characters, Nigerian everything. And I was still imagining these characters as white, Caucasian. And I'm just like, I don't even understand where do you even begin to unlearn that kind of ingrained whiteness. 
I think I think a part of that starts from where like you you start to like find and that's that's why I think the value of books comes in books and and that you, I think books more specifically but also finding the internet has its issues but it's also great I love the internet great listening and listening, in, in, in listening, listening yeah. finding finding talks of of who were who were Nigeria like because Nigeria is also a very recent term. Yeah. Like if we unpack what Nigeria and Niger all these what very Uganda true. is, Uganda is also very recent. Scramble for Uganda Africa. Uganda comes from the word Buganda, which is which is one kingdom of mm-hmm. the whole of Uganda, which which during colonial times was a bunch of kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But but Buganda was most influential in 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 in, in uh, the colonial um like that from what I know it's mm-hmm. it's, it's where like the the, the, the colonizers mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. quote unquote felt most safe i don't know <laughs> i don't know someone else yeah. might have more information but when you look at all these different 54 countries even even that name there's there, there has to be knowledge before mm-hmm. colonization yeah. there has to be if uh, you know nigeria is so of all the countries on the continent i think nigeria is the country or like that region is the is the place where where most religion Different practices, even mm-hmm. just reading it, well, yeah. is still most intact. Ifa is still very intact. Very Yoruba, Yoruba, Yoruba uh, religion is still very intact. Mm-hmm. So even if, even if, like for me, I'm I'm interested in reading it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be practicing it. Yeah. But just to know that, hey. But the thing is, where do you? It even, wasn't always like this. Where do you even get that literature? Because I, I feel very ashamed to say that I'm pretty sure I know most about more about like the history of the global north and and just all the things that comes with that more so than the history from my country and i don't know if that has to do with you know my socialization growing up or just the fact that i moved to the global north and now in my prime years quote unquote like in my 20s when i'm absorbing all this information i just so happen to be in the global north so i guess the issue like where do i even begin to get the literature i need or the information i need to really like entrench myself in my culture talk to your elders in... talk to your elders but see that's the issue sometimes your elders are not the place old. you can go yeah. so like where do i where do i go to get yeah. this information i, I i'm literally deeply in need yeah. in need of to understand mm-hmm. myself and my identity and my sense of belonging because i find that so i moved to the states when i was 17 i moved here when i was 21 i i don't where is my sense of belonging like yeah. where do i where do i belong I think that knowledge, and that's what we're talking about with the class of like you, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get your for for us, the knowledge that we really need is not gonna come in the mainstream classes that we we're doing, especially at, at even even at university. It's gonna living. come. It's gonna come, and that's what I that's what I said and still maintain that the library is the is is a, is a place of growth, and it's mm-hmm. it's probably, if not the most important. Um, like place of growth, it it's it's one of. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's books, you know. Sometimes I'll just be I'll just be just a random word, like just just the word ifa in a in a library catalog. Mm-hmm. It might bring things up. Yeah. That being said, you want to discern. You want to make sure mm-hmm. that you know you, you're reading the you research the author that you're that you're that you're that you're reading. Mm-hmm. It's engaging in that in that critical mm-hmm. thing, but definitely Google first. And this is just a question for you, Irene, because I'm genuinely curious. Um, just because, you know, coming from 
countries that have all been colonized and especially with you know museums for instance um, oh. and appropriating oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know oh, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely which is a whole <laughs> thing in and of itself um but where like i guess my question is who is curating that library is it mm-hmm. is it more likely that you're finding Ifa here in a North American library than in yeah which is what i'm Africa. saying so at one point was that knowledge brought over and robbed at what point were the people who deserve that knowledge in Africa robbed of that knowledge and it's brought to the global north to reappropriate? Yeah. And, you know, to me, I see it in the exact same way as I see a museum, Mm -hmm. right? At what point were these things brought over and never returned? Mm -hmm. They're never yours. You're robbing future generations of it. But that is how colonization works. Colonization wants you to never know. Never It wants you to be, it wants to, you know, the old you to be so forgotten. It's just a... It's you might have a physical longing for it, but you won't have the words mm-hmm. to to talk about what yeah. you're searching for. Yeah. And at what point? At what point do we just have to realize that it's up to us? Because unfortunately, the healing couldn't happen until us. Mm-hmm. But maybe the healing can happen now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what healing looks like for each and every one of you. It could be in a library. It could be connecting with a, a language that never even touched your lips. Mm-hmm. But. It needs to begin because I refuse to have another individual come after me and feel this way. Yeah, definitely. In terms of a lineage. In, in yeah. terms of lineage, in terms of Just like knowledge. Yeah. And whose knowledge is knowledge? Mm-hmm. You know, who's who's creating these knowledge-making processes? Yeah. And who is saying what's worth it and what's yeah. not? And and why are, are your cultural learnings in a global North library yeah. and never to be found in Africa, which is, which was the but, thing, and, and see that's where that's where like this this whole call, and that's what you know the prof was talking about where she was saying um, um, it's so deeply ingrained mm-hmm. um, because the the communities that are gonna be perpetuating that colonization are not necessarily white communities, mm-hmm. right? Like, no. like lateral violence. It's that yeah. lateral yeah. violence, yeah. but it's also that. Um, it's that in it's almost like you inherit yeah. you inherit ways of knowing. the ways of knowing the colonial ways of knowing and i think back to that whole religion thing you know when you're most vulnerable is where you're going to stay is mm-hmm. where you're going to is where you're going to feel comfortable um and because our our religions are are our our religions traditionally the the little that i know our religions had was so nuanced, so nuanced that now they've been reduced to just dark magic. Mm-hmm. The way, the way, the way. Maybe you can correct me and kind of mm. direct me appropriately. But the way Nigerian movies oh portray portray um, um, African spirituality. Let's start from there, because it's not white people doing that. It's it, we're like, doing that, and that's we're the, the one thing. It's that. because. So then, that's the thing, you don't need to, you know, you don't, it's not one of those things where you have, you know, where you have a colonial soldier and you operating under them anymore. Right? You where have these you nuanced, co- but the power, and I even fall victim to, to this at times, and I, I don't mean victimization in any way, I acknowledge that, you know, I am occupying a place of privilege yeah. between the two of you and those who came before me, um, but in terms of... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I do this a lot. Yeah. What am I talking about? What are you talking about? It's gone. It'll come back. It'll come back. Um, <laughs> It'll come no, back. but it made me think about how... Oh, sorry. Oh, I remember. remember. Okay, I go, go, go. Um, the power 
to have a person in front of you and tell them this is morally good and this is morally bad. And that guilt weighs on a person until they lose so much of themselves that they don't even know what's good or bad anymore. Mm-hmm. But what they're told, they're going to do it. Yeah. Because this, it's an, for me, I find myself operating almost in an innate human way where if someone tells me to do the morally good thing, it doesn't matter what that is as long as it's told before me that this is good and this is bad. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an individualistic response that guilt festers. And mm-hmm. if you think you're doing the wrong, and I, I, that's where I can kind of see where, you know, the good Christian or the mm-hmm. bad Christian can operate very seamlessly yeah. to help facilitate colonization after after the colonizers have left. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of this idea of whiteness as a default. And I was, I think I heard this somewhere. Or I read this on my camera, but it, it says people of color don't want freedom. They just want the closest thing to whiteness, no matter what it takes. And I was like, I had to like mm-hmm. go back and be like, yeah. whoa, like I don't even whoa, like whoa, matrix. I don't even know where to like. Where do you even start to unpack that statement from? Like where where do you? Okay, I'm just gonna let you guys try and so unpack the, it. The statement is people of color don't want freedom. They just, they just want, want the, the closest, closest thing, thing to, to whiteness, whiteness, no matter, matter what, what it takes. Yeah, because whiteness is equated to freedom. Which right. is insane. It's the closest thing. Which it we, isn't, though. It, it isn't, but it operates at such an invisible level that to us it seems like freedom. And, and it's also... And I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say us as if we're occupying the same space. I acknowledge yeah. that my space is different. Yeah. Definitely, but, but there's still a similarity mm-hmm. in the social locations that we occupy. Yeah, But I also think... I, I, I this I can reflect on growing up. It's it's how it's packaged. It's packaged to us as freedom mm-hmm. from the people that oppressed us to begin with. Mm-hmm. How can you be selling freedom. me freedom when you are the reason why I'm not free? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because also, if you think about it, the even the language that we're speaking, it's a very it's a, it's sure. a very it's a it's a very it's a it's a white people it's a white mm-hmm. it's a white, mm-hmm. it's a white <laughs> language. Yeah. Um. Um. And you know. I'm sure when when however the ink, the language has spread it has spread and it is the dominant language mm-hmm. and to to learn the language is to access power is to yeah. access freedom mm-hmm. is to access capitalist gain or capital gain mm-hmm. which in, goes back in to many being ways than, than as others. close to whiteness mm-hmm. as we can be yeah and it's just and so so when so when we're growing up the, like Uganda is between between within within East Africa, Uganda is probably probably has a higher like literacy than 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 some of the other countries. Mm-hmm. So growing up in Uganda, you don't think about it. You don't think about the fact that 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 privilege of learning English comes in handy when you're when you're operating across the world. And I definitely see that growing up in Nigeria as well. I can definitely relate yeah. with like just not even realizing that just the fact that I can speak English is something that opens up so many gates that most people who can't or don't speak it properly would never even be able to occupy the same space I do. Mm-hmm. And this is also another thought, but this is from Game of Thrones, actually. Um, yes. <laughs> and it's so uh, Danny says this when she frees the slaves. People learn, somebody says it to Danny, I think, or Danny says it, I can't remember, but people learn to love their chains. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I do acknowledge in that scene that uh, it is very white savior esque. It is. So uh, we, we I haven't yeah. watched it. Oh no, um, it is very white savior. But I, but, but in terms of people love their chains, um, no god, uh, I don't know where to begin with that. Just because you know I'm occupying such a place of privilege, um, 
But I'm gonna let you ladies speak in a second. I don't know. The thing is, I don't know what's it being with it either. I think it is for me. It just struck this this notion of maybe kind of similar to what we were saying about you don't really want freedom, but you want something as close to whiteness. Kind of like you've gotten so used to what it is right now that there's so much fear in even kind of trying to unlearn unlearn what you know because like there's so much uncertainty in it and there's so much fear that comes with that uncertainty that maybe if you stay with the chains they're comfortable to you that's what you know like you don't you don't know what you don't know so if if you remain in the chains and no one tells you excuse me you're in chains you're never gonna know i don't know as someone on their own unlearning journey and, you know, I am occupying a place of privilege. I, I don't, I want to amplify that. And that's why I'm saying it so much. Um, but, you know, this journey of unlearning within myself, I've considered to be on it for the past, at least, at least three, I would say three years um, from undergraduate to the graduate mm-hmm. program. And I have never felt so much more love for myself, so much more love for my community, so much more love for, you know, people who have brought me here my grandmother, who has never, who was always hammered by culture into me, but through the lens of whiteness, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And now, I hope I'm starting to at least. Mm-hmm. And even that, I haven't even fully grasped the beauty yeah. of it, right? And it's it just fills me with awe, all the beauty and nuance that there is in my own Punjabi culture, in my own South Asian diasporic identity, and unlearning. And I just want to amplify this because unlearning is the most beautiful journey you can begin. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because you learn... You learn what your voice sounds like. Mm. It escapes your throat. It touches your lips. It seeps out. And you, and for the first time, you find yourself in a moment really hearing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I just encourage anyone and everyone to unlearn what they know. Because what you know is what someone else told you. Yeah. And what that who built the libraries? Mm-hmm. You know? Who stole the books? Who... Who why, built why the libraries? Yeah. Or yeah, why did they steal the books? Who who is benefiting from robbing this knowledge from us? Mm-hmm. Because it's not us, mm-hmm. right? And unlearning what you know is the first step to uncovering all that you can know. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that that was beautifully said. Um, I would what I would add to that is being being open and willing and okay 100% with being with being in that place of uncertainty with being in that in that uncomfortable murky like ugh, i don't know yeah. i don't know cuz i'm i'm thinking I'm, and I, I don't know for some reason maybe it's my conversation today with my mom about religion that is just making me want to talk more about it but hey religion's one of the primary tools literally yeah um, and I, I'm thinking back to like when I started um, questioning my Christ, my religion, Christianity, um, be- because my household was every Sunday you have to go to church, you have to be in church every Sunday, wear your Sunday best, da 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 da. Um, and I just remember being like allowing myself to go step by step. It's okay to be open. It's okay to open a book that has a Buddha that has a Buddha a Buddha uh, symbol. It's okay not to know. It's okay to have those assumptions, but it's also okay to dismantle those assumptions. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take baby steps. And I remember the very first time that I learned that that Buddha statue is just a statue. Mm-hmm. Yo, my mind opened. I was just <laughs> like, so it's just like this whole time. <laughs> this whole time I've just been 
like fearful yeah. for nothing because it's just it's just a representation the same way the cross is a representation it's just representation and buddhism is not even a religion so like growing up i've had I've, and when you talk about unlearning you you grow up just having this closed this mm-hmm. closed heart this mm-hmm. closed mind You're and so i rigid all over it literally so rigid like you can't even poop mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> literally like, no but actually though no. Yeah, so so uh, I think that that's from 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 what I've 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 uncovered like that's what I would offer. I would offer like baby steps, patience, and and just having an open an open mind so that open you, ears, an open, open, heart, open ears, open, open, open just be open. It's better for you. Anyways. It's better for your bowel movement. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's <laughs> I think. Up. <laughs> I think for me, um, it's funny because I think moving from Nigeria has made me appreciate the country even more and like the culture and the tradition from where I come from. It's rich. And it's made me, it's kind of bittersweet in that it's made me kind of sad that I don't know more about it, but it's also made me excited to learn more about never it. Yeah. Cause I, I'm coming through, it's never too late. I'm only 22. Like there's so much I don't 22. like literally so much. I don't know. And I'm so open to this idea of remaining open and just, on learning all the things that I thought I knew but were just told to me by someone else and taking that information from myself for myself instead of just accepting what someone yeah. else is telling me. Don't, yeah, don't. And um, so we're coming to the, we're kind of wrapping up, but I think it's really funny because this episode started off as this like trending now. I was going to talk about Kodak Black and like Nipsey Hussle and there was like a whole other thing. Which I was is very to, important to talk Which about. is very important to pop talk about. Pop culture is relevant. Yeah and that was literally what this episode was. It was just a pop culture episode but I think what is even more powerful for me and another reason why I love doing this and I love doing this with you guys most especially is because you start a topic about one thing right and it kind of <laughs> just like for five minutes later, you're not really sure where you... Like, how did we get to colonization when we started talking about, like, a tweet? Like, and that's... I think that's what's so powerful is because... But I, I think it's related. What was the tweet? It is. It talking, is. What, what was the tweet about? Power. Yeah. Power. I mean, what, which is true, which is what I'm saying. I think it's just, like, this idea that, like, you know, that there's, there's a root to something and you have to dig up the root to figure out where the branches came from. Which I think is yeah. is what's so beautiful about conversations like this. And honestly, folks, this, these are kind of conversations we have all the time, which is why I love them very much. Um, but yeah, so I don't really have yeah, any. The only thing unique about this conversation <laughs> is people are listening. <laughs> Literally, because we would have had this conversation anyway. Um, so I want to thank Irene and Armin. But before before I even get into like my ending spiel, do you guys have any last words? To say. Um, I just want to give a shout out to my grandma because uh, I acknowledge my privilege in having an elder who, you know, teaches me every, you know, so many beautiful things about my culture and never once felt shame over where we come from and, you know, came to Canada with not much. And she's my best friend and you all know this. Uh, so for shout B- out to BG. This is for BG, yeah. I mean, any last words? Um, yeah, shout out to your grandma. <laughs> Yeah. Shout out to BG. No yeah, resistance. No, you don't yeah. need edu- you don't need a, to to be educated. Yeah, no, no. Um, but so I want I want each and everyone to just open up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm-hmm. um, that was completed in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. In Canada, um, and it's a document that just looks at the. The, the challenges and the the, the, traumas. the traumas and the oppression that uh, p- indigenous people in Canada face. 
as a result of living in colonial in colonial Canada. So so very important document for everyone who has who who is um, just everyone, but specifically everyone who who has um, lived through colonial times, who is living through colonial times across the world. Just to understand really like like the depth of of, of oppression in that regard, uh, and the depth of assimilation which we've like all us three have have endured. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I don't really have any questions for this week because the conversation kind of took another toll, which I love. Um, but let me know what you think, and thank you for taking this journey of feminism power on learning colonization with us i really appreciate it um follow us on all social media platforms yeah they're they're listed um down below r.i.p nipsey hustle because i think his death has really allowed a lot of us to be able to reflect on our purpose in life and you know the finality of it all as well as just what impact we can have on our community so that when we leave, we leave a legacy behind. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think that's about all I have for this week. This week, do not... F- oh, Irene? Also, um, regarding Nipsey Hussle's death, Google Dr. Sebi. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's information um, about, about his death likely being linked. Dr. Sebi. Okay then. Please Google Dr. Sebi. Google Dr. Sebi. And I shall do that. Immediately I'm done from here because I hadn't heard that. But um yeah, do that. Um and this week don't forget to be unapologetically intentional. Thank you folks. God bless.